Melchizedek, one of the most mysterious people in the Bible, was the focus of our Bible study last time as we looked at the first 10 verses of Hebrews chapter 7. Melchizedek is first encountered in the Bible in Genesis chapter 14. The story is told about five kings of the Jordan plain who had been subject to the king of Elam for 12 years. And then these five kings joined forces and rebelled against the king of Elam. In response, the king of Elam and his three allies marched out to teach these rebels a lesson to bring them back into submission. And so the battle lines were drawn, the four kings against the five kings. And the king of Elam and his three allies, they routed the five kings and the conquering armies ransacked the cities of those kings, carrying off everything of value. Well, one of the defeated cities was Sodom, which was where Abraham's nephew Lot lived. And Lot and his family and all of their possessions were captured and carried off with the other people and the plunder. When Abraham heard what had happened, he quickly put together a rescue force and they went after them. And amazingly, he and his men caught up with this group and they launched a surprise attack, defeating the captors and recovering Lot and the other people and the plunder. And then on Abraham's way back home from this battle, he was met by Melchizedek, the king of Salem and the priest of God Most High. He gave Abraham bread and wine and he pronounced a blessing over him. And Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of all of the plunder that he had recovered. The author of Hebrews highlights a number of things about Melchizedek which resemble Jesus Christ serving as pointers to him. These qualities of Melchizedek are also true of Jesus, who is the full and complete expression of these things. These same qualities of Melchizedek that point to Jesus, they also reveal inadequacies of the priesthood of the religious system introduced through Moses. So to summarize what is said in these first 10 verses of Hebrews chapter 7, Melchizedek was a king of righteousness. Jesus is the king of righteousness. Melchizedek was a king of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace and the one who creates peace between us and God through himself. Melchizedek came from a different genealogy than the priests of the Jewish religion who were all descendants of Levi. Coming from a different genealogy meant Melchizedek was not a priest because of ancestral lineage, but because of the quality of his life and what he had done. And the same is true of Jesus. His priesthood comes from the quality of his life and what he has done. Melchizedek appeared to be without beginning of days or end of life, making him a priest forever. Well, this is literally true of Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who has always been and will always be making him a priest forever. Melchizedek collected a tenth from Abraham, the father of the Jews, not because of a law allowing him to do it, but because of his greater authority and honor obligating Abraham to him. Jesus 
has great intrinsic authority over all, obligating all to him. Finally, Melchizedek blessed Abraham, the father of the Jews, and Abraham receiving the blessing demonstrated Abraham's submission to him. The greater blesses the lesser, and Jesus, being greater than all, is the one from whom we all need to be blessed. Well, today we're going to look at the rest of Hebrews chapter 7, in which Jesus Christ is compared and contrasted not only with Melchizedek, but the priesthood of the religious system that God gave to the Jewish people through Moses. We're picking up in verse 11 of Hebrews 7 today. And as we talked about last time, uh, this chapter involves some stuff that's maybe not directly, obviously applicable to your life in, uh, you know, how to be a nicer person and how to, uh, you know, manage your finances and how to have a a better marriage and, and that kind of thing. But it is the underpinning of our Christian faith and the kind of stuff that is good for us to know about because it makes us better worshipers of God and we are more educated about what it is that makes Jesus, Jesus. So verse 11, it begins, it says, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? Well, that probably sounds a bit like a mouthful to you. So let's take a look at this. First, a quick word about some of the terminology that we are encountering in this chapter and really through the letter of Hebrews. The Levitical priesthood is the priesthood of the religious system that God gave to the Jewish people through Moses. Only men who were descendants of Aaron of the tribe of Levi could be priests, thus the name Levitical priesthood. Aaron was the brother of Moses. He served as the very first high priest. The priesthood is sometimes referred to as the priesthood of the order of Aaron, and we'll encounter that terminology here too. This religious system is referred to as the Old Covenant, or the first covenant, in contrast to the new covenant that was established through Jesus Christ. Aaron, or I mean another term used to refer to this religious system of the old covenant, is the law. The law refers to the religious and moral regulations, ceremonies, rites, laws of the Jewish religion and culture, The basic content of the law of the Old Covenant is found in the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These books are also called the books of Moses. So for our purposes here, the law, the Old Covenant, the First Covenant, the Levitical priesthood, the order of Aaron, the religious system of the Jews, all refer to the same thing. So let's take a look at this question that the author asks in this verse 11 again. He says, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, 
the priesthood of the religious system that was given through Moses and that the Jewish people had been following for centuries, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron or of the Levitical priesthood? Saying that question as a statement, rather, uh, uh, it, it would go like this. Perfection was not attainable through the Levitical priesthood. So a better priesthood was needed, one in the order of Melchizedek. This is what the author is going to be talking about now. He is going to show the need for a better priesthood than the one under the Old Covenant, under the religious system that the Jewish people had been following for centuries, which was given through Moses, and this better priesthood is the one in the order of Melchizedek, namely Jesus Christ. Let's talk about this word perfection for a minute uh, to make sure we got that, that we're onto that, because it says if perfection could have been attained through this priesthood. The word perfect is often used in our conversation in a very casual way. People will say things like, you're perfect. These shoes fit perfectly. This is a perfect gift for my friend. I found the perfect spot for a picnic. You know, and, and on and on, right? None of these things are literally perfect. The word perfect is being used as a casual expression indicating that something has very desirable qualities. That is not how this word perfection and perfect are being used here in Hebrews. It's not being used like that. In Hebrews, it's being used in a formal way. Here, perfection means complete and whole, missing nothing, having no defect, entirely fulfilling the intended purpose, absolutely right in every detail, satisfying all requirements. Something is either perfect or it's not. There's no gray with perfect. There's no gradations of perfect. Something either is perfect or it isn't perfect. There is no almost with perfect. Perfect, by definition, implies that nothing can be added to a perfect thing to make it better, Otherwise, it wouldn't have been perfect. And nothing could be taken away, and the thing still remain perfect. It is in a state of absolute completeness. That's how perfect is being used in the letter of Hebrews. Well, why is perfection important? Because only that which is perfect is fully accepted and allowed in God's presence without restriction. For us, becoming perfect is another way of saying that we are being saved because we need to be perfect in order to be in God's presence. Now, this is jumping ahead in the story just a little bit, but look at what it says a little bit later in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. It says, For by one sacrifice he, Jesus, 
has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Think about that. Those who are followers of Jesus, who have put their faith in Him, trusting in Him as their Savior, are made perfect forever and are being made holy. That's cool. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what we're living as a follower of Jesus. Verse 12 says, For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. So he says, if the priesthood is going to be changed out, remember Levitical priesthood, it's it's not good enough. We're going to need the, the priesthood in the order of Melchizedek. So if the priesthood is going to be changed, then the whole system that it's part of is going to need to be changed too, he's saying. The Levitical priesthood and the law are both part of a single system. We can't have one without the other. The Levitical priesthood is an integral part of the law. Remember all these terms, law, old covenant, Levitical priesthood. The same. We're all talking about the same thing here. Without the priesthood, the law would not be able to operate. It was the priests who carried out the sacrifices and the offerings and the observances prescribed by the law. It's not possible to just swap out the priest part and keep the old covenant law part, nor is it possible to keep the priest part and swap out the old covenant law part. You can't take the peanut butter center out of a Reese's and think you still have a Reese's peanut butter cup. You can't have one without the other. Nor can you swap out the peanut butter center with something else like marshmallow and still have a Reese's. The chocolate shell and the peanut butter center are inseparable. They make an integrated whole. Okay? The priests and the law go together. Well, considering the inseparable link between the covenant law and the priesthood, it's interesting that David writes in Psalm 110, verse 4, that there is the need for a priesthood of a different order, one in the order of Melchizedek. Enabled by the Holy Spirit, David saw centuries before Christ came that the Levitical priesthood could not accomplish what we really need to be made perfect and acceptable before God, to bring everlasting salvation to the human race. A new, better, perfect priesthood was needed, the one pointed to in Melchizedek. So the author is saying that it was not enough to just change the priesthood. The whole system needs to be changed because it's an integrated whole. The entire system has to be changed with the emergence of Jesus Christ. It is changed. A fundamentally different relationship with God is created 
through Jesus. So verse 13 says, He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe. Talking about Jesus now. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe. And no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it's clear that our Lord descended from Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So under the covenant, the, the, the old covenant, the covenant law given through Moses, only descendants from the tribe of Levi were allowed to be priests. If Jesus had been from the tribe of Levi, then he would have been part of this long succession of priests from the Levitical priesthood, but he's not from that genealogical line. He comes from a different lineage. This is the author's point. Jesus, not being from the tribe of Levi, tells us that he is a different order of priest, a different kind, variety, class of priest. This is a fundamentally different and new thing that Jesus has established. As to his humanness, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Levi. And the tribe of Judah, you might remember, is the tribe of royalty. It's the tribe from which the kings of Israel come. This is another parallel, actually, between Jesus and Melchizedek. They are both priests and kings. God made the promise to Abraham that the Messiah would come through his lineage. And so Jesus was of the lineage of Abraham. God also made the promise to David that the Messiah would come through his lineage. And so Jesus was a descendant of David of the tribe of Judah. 15. And what have we said? And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He says, Jesus is a superior priest because he lives forever and therefore has a permanent priesthood. Death doesn't limit him. This point was made back in verse 3, and we talked about that last time, and it's made here in verses 15 through 17, and it'll be talked again about again up in verses 23 through 25. Jesus has not become a priest on the basis of a stipulation in the covenant law, the religious regulations of the Levitical priesthood. Instead, Jesus is priest on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. I love that description of Jesus, that he has the power of an indestructible life. Death has no power over him. He can't be destroyed. His resurrection established him as high priest of a new order forever. The author quotes Psalm 110.4 again, to show that centuries before Jesus came, David 
prophesied that the Messiah would be a different kind of priest who would live forever. 18, the former regulation, the old covenant, the law, is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. So the the Levitical priesthood, the old covenant law, the former regulation says here it was weak and useless because it made nothing perfect. The priesthood of Jesus is better because we can, in the words of these verses here, draw near to God through Jesus, which is another way of saying that we can be made perfect, that we can be saved. The Old Covenant was designed to point out and highlight the huge division between God and humanity. It taught about the separation that exists between us because of our sin. The New Covenant teaches us about the grace of God, that He Himself has provided a perfect sacrifice for our sins so that through Jesus Christ we can be brought near to God. We can be made perfect through Jesus Christ. The the law shows the separation, and the new covenant through grace brings us near to God. The old covenant, it says, there had no power to change a person's life in both the physical and spiritual realms, affecting both our present and our future beyond death. And this is the limitation with all religions philosophy, self-help programs, and so forth, they can sometimes help bring about some change in a person's present life. But these things have no power to change anything outside of or beyond this present physical life. Only Jesus Christ has the power to change our spiritual position and condition. Only He can bring us near to God Only He can make us perfect. Only He can give us eternal life. Only He can give us forgiveness for our sins before God. Only He can save us now and forever. Only Jesus Christ can do that. No other religion, philosophy, self-help, or whatever else can do that. Verse 20, And it was not without an oath, he says, Others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. The priesthood of Jesus is superior, he says, because it has been established by an oath from God. The priesthood of Aaron and his descendants was not established by an oath. They, it was put into place through the covenant law, the the regulation in the law. But the priesthood of Jesus has been established by a personal oath by God. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. And you might remember we talked about the significance of God's oaths when we were looking at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. When God makes an oath, it's a double guarantee. You remember that? since it's established by two unchangeable things, his character and the promise. 
Jesus himself, it says here, is the guarantee of this better covenant, better relationship with God. The, the Greek word guarantor, that it's translated as guarantor here, it carries with it this idea of a person who guarantees or secures an agreement in both directions between two parties. So Jesus Christ, he guarantees this new covenant, this new relationship to us on God's behalf, and he guarantees this new covenant relationship to God on our behalf. Jesus Christ is the evidence from God that this new covenant is a real, true thing, and Jesus is the one and only human being who is able to fully perform and satisfy all of the conditions of this covenant before God for it to be a real, true thing for us. So once again, we have this picture of Jesus as the great intercessor between God and us, the one who stands between us, the perfect priest standing in the gap, satisfying the requirements on both sides, guaranteeing this relationship to both parties, both to God and to us. Twenty-three. Now there have been many of those priests, talking about the Levitical priests now, since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. There's been an endless succession of priests under the Levitical priesthood because they were all mortals, just like you and me. When one would die, another would have to come and take his place. F.F. Bruce describes it this way, uh, beginning with Aaron. He says, Aaron, the first of the line, served his people in the high priesthood throughout the wilderness wanderings. But the day came when Aaron and his son Eleazar were taken by Moses to the summit of Mount Hor. There Moses stripped Aaron of his priestly garments and put them upon Eleazar, his son, and Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. Later, after the settlement in the land of Canaan, Eleazar died in his turn and was succeeded by his son Phinehas. And so the tale went on. But it's not that way with Jesus because he's immortal, lives forever, possessing an indestructible life. So his priesthood will never be succeeded. He will never be replaced. His priesthood is permanent. And it says because that he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. That word translated completely, it means to the fullest extent possible in every direction and in every respect. Jesus saves us to the fullest extent possible in every direction and in every respect. One last thought about him as our intercessory with that is that there never is or ever will be a moment in your life, Christian, 
that you don't have a perfect priest interceding for you before God. Finally, verses 26 through 28, he summarizes what he's been talking about. He says, such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weaknesses, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. No other person in all of history can be described with these words other than Jesus Christ. Holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners exalted above the heavens. He's perfect, requiring no sacrifice to be offered on his behalf to be made right before God. He has always been right before God. He has always been accepted by God. He has always been near to God, making him uniquely able to bring us near to God. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, is both our perfect sacrifice and our perfect priest forever. Hallelujah indeed. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our perfect priest, who gave himself as the perfect sacrifice to make us perfect so that we can be in your presence, Lord, as your children. Father, I pray that you would touch your children today with these ama this amazing truth, that you would encourage them, that you would lift their hearts. Lord, that you would fill us with a renewed peace and joy about our salvation and about our Savior, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.